In this episode, I'm going to break down for you the two powerful models that I use every single day while evaluating investments in my day job <laughs> as a professional investor. I wake up every morning and figure out where I can put resources to work. Where can I invest my time? Where can I invest capital? Where can I buy assets? And which founders and operators do I invest in that can support them and also further my mission in the fund that we run? Now, I wish I had been taught these two foundational models early on in my career, say in high school or college. It would have dramatically changed the course of you know, my, my model success. However, these two models were self-taught. I had to come up with them on my own. Of course, I borrowed a lot of this from inspiration, but we use these two models every single day in filtering investments, evaluating opportunities, and putting money to work. And I'm going to break down for you with full transparency, starting right now. One thing is for certain. Just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this. Where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to. How to grow your business. How to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. All right, today I want to talk to you about the two investment models that every serious investor should know about. In fact, it's one, it's two of these things that most people don't ever teach us. And I have my iPad here that I'm going to draw and share and all that good stuff. But the two investment models that allow us to do uh, answer two big questions. Question number one is everything related to investing scares people. And I want to figure out how to make that really, really simple. So question number one is, how do you understand any investment? And question number two is, how do you evaluate if that investment is right for you? And this is something that I wish had been taught to us earlier on in school or college or wherever. But for some reason, no one, no one teaches us this stuff. So I'm excited to kind of walk through this with you and see if I can uh, share with you how to actually build this stuff, right? So the two investment models. So let's jump into this. The reason I'm sharing this is because many of us in our daily lives uh, come across multiple investment opportunities, whether it may be the new hot craze, which is cryptocurrency, or whether it may be um, a cool stock tip that you got, or whether it may be whether you should invest in a building and growing a brand, or whether it may be whether you should buy an e-commerce store, or whether it may be whether you should be on Etsy, or whether it may be whether you should go learn a new skill so that you can sell on the side, or whether you can do a side hustle. Everything has an investment model associated with it. And the two models that we really want to know about are, number one, how to understand any investment. And number two, how to evaluate if that investment is right for you. So I'm going to walk you through these two models right now. The first one is I call, it's called the parking lot model. And what I mean by that is, um, as a professional investor, we get pitched stuff every single day. And our job is to figure out whether, our job is to figure out whether we actually understand this investment. I get pitched things from medical devices to solar companies to um, you know social media to prop tech to real estate to all of that stuff. And 
I don't invest in everything. I only invest in stuff that I know. I only invest in stuff that I understand. And that's super important to me. But so what we do, and me and my partner in our fund, anytime we get an investment, we put it into the parking lot, the parking lot, the parking lot. And what I mean by parking lot is for an easy way for you to understand is L-O-T, all right? L-O-T. All I want you to remember is L-O-T because it allows you to evaluate almost any investment that is financial in nature, okay? So uh, what does the L stand for? What does the O stand for? And what does the T stand for? The L stands for liquidity. I'm going to type while I write. O stands for ownership. And the T stands for terms. Ownership. And the T stands for terms. All right. So let's let's break this down really quick. Um, it's important to know why each of these uh, matter. So I'll take a couple of quick examples to explain to you whether how we understand an investment. So for example, the the if someone was pitching me uh, a cool new Bitcoin opportunity, I would say, okay, how do I understand this opportunity? Right. The first thing I think about is, okay, what is the liquidity? Liquidity literally in our world means uh, how easily can I liquidate this investment? How easily can I trade this back for cash? How fast can I get out of it? And I'm taking liquid cash and I'm investing into this instrument. How fast can I liquidate this? How fast can I get liquid back again? How can I get liquid assets back again, which is my cash? And liquidity is important because it allows you to understand whether this asset is tradable or not. The more liquid the investment, you can just assume the the less the uh, liquidity premium that you're going to get. And what I mean by that is, let's say I ask you to put your investment into a fund for five years and that you can't touch it. Well, since you can't touch it for five years, there's you should say, well, Sharon, that's interesting. I can put this into a bank and get 1% on it. But if I'm giving it to you, I, I should at least get more than 1% because I can't withdraw it right away. And that's called a premium on the liquidity. You're locking up your capital. This is often called uh, a lockup, uh, how long something is locked up. But the liquidity is really important. So if someone gave me Bitcoin and I'm thinking, okay, what is the liquidity around this, right? That's important because I know whether I can trade in and out of it. If I made a wrong move, can I get in and out of it, even if it's volatile? And with Bitcoin, it's pretty cool. It's interesting. There's there's actually 24-hour liquidity. I can go on my app and I can trade it instantly and I can get liquidity right away, which is cool. I understand this investment now. The second is ownership or ownership structure. Understanding where you sit in the ownership structure is really important. So uh, if something happens that someone else gets paid before you, or do you own a piece of debt? Do you own a piece of equity? Do you own actually a piece of the company or some or a piece of an ETF? What do you actually do? You actually own Bitcoin, or do you own a fund that owns Bitcoin? So in this case, if I were just to go out on a Coinbase exchange or wherever another the exchange and buy BTC, the Bitcoin token, I would own some Bitcoin or some Satoshi or whatever it may be, some uh, der- derivation of it. I would own the actual uh, token, which is cool. I actually own the asset. A lot of times people misunderstand. They think they own the asset, but they don't. So if you buy an ETF or a mutual fund, you don't own the asset. You own a container that owns the asset. And that's okay. It's not a fund that owns the asset of sorts. And I just want to know what it is because there may be some tax implications around it. There may be some issues. There may be fees associated with it. 
the more containers, the more complex the investment is, the more complex the ownership structure is, the more you're paying for the complexity. And that's okay. It just needs to know where I sit. So I, it's liquid, which is really good. The ownership is interesting to me where I own the actual asset, which is great. And number three, what are the terms? What are the terms? Well, the terms are really simple. If Bitcoin is trading at $50,000 of Bitcoin, I can pay $50,000 in cash and buy one Bitcoin. Really simple. I get it right away. Straight up, that's how it works. And I get I get it right. I pay for the amount and I, uh, you know, I, I pay for it. And I um, and I and I get the get the Bitcoin right away. Very simple investment. Now, the reason it's simple is because I have given you a model to understand it. Most of the times we go by gut feel and think whether we can understand an investment, but you always think in these terms. Just I'm just trying to understand it. Is it liquid? What is the liquidity around it? Number two, what is the ownership structure? And number three, what are the terms? Right. And so we've gone through Bitcoin. Let me give you a different example, uh, and we'll put this through the both the matri- ma- matrices. So let's say somebody comes to me with a real estate investment and they say, hey, Sharon, I want you to buy a, uh, um, a residential income property in Omaha, Nebraska. Like, okay. So the first thing I'm going to like think about liquidity. Okay. Can I, how fast can I sell this house if I need to get out of it? Well, I'll look at, I look at a real estate trade times and I'm saying, okay, it's, you know, the average days on market in uh, Omaha, Nebraska is 56 days, which means another 30 days for closing. So in 90 days, I can get out of this investment if I want to. Okay, cool. So my liquidity is 90 days. What is my ownership? Well, my ownership is interesting. So if this person is coming to me with a deal saying, hey, Sharon, I want you to invest uh, with me to buy this home in Omaha, Nebraska, I'm very curious. What am I investing in? Am I the debt? Meaning, am I the bank providing him the mortgage to actually go make this investment? Or are, does he already have the mortgage and am I the equity, which means I'm second, which means the bank gets paid first and I get paid second, which is okay. But where am I in the structure? Or am I one of many investors where he's probably talking to 10 investors and I'm one of 10 that is going to be part of this investment where, and where do I sit? Um, are 10 of us contributing to be the bank and provide some debt? Are we providing some bridge financing? Are we providing some uh, hard money loans? Are we providing some fix and flip capital? Are we providing renovation capital? Are we actually just equity so that he can go get the loan? What is the ownership structure around this? And that in that is very, uh, that gives my risk a lot of perspective, right? So number one, liquidity, we called it 90 days. Number two, ownership, not sure, right? But it could get pretty complex. And But normally when someone pitches you a deal, they'll tell you exactly what your ownership is, which is good. And number three, what are the terms? Terms are good. So they'll say, hey, Sharon, I want you to put put up $100,000 for 90 days. And I want to go close on this property. And uh, for the 90 days of having your $100,000 to close on this property, I will pay you, pick a number, 10% interest. I'm like, okay, uh, if it, is it 10% annualized? Is it 10% for 90 days? What is it? I've done a deal where I've made 10% in 14 days. That's pretty cool. I write somebody a $200,000 check. 14 days later, he gives me 220. I like that deal. That's not bad, right? Because annualized, that's a big number. That's very cool. Now, if it's 10% annualized, then I'm making 10% divided by 12 divided by two. That's 10% divided by 24. I don't know if I want that deal, right? That's just my, that it may be, the risk may be worth more than the terms. So the terms are really important. 
So whenever you are being pitched an investment, I think and ask this question, hey, so tell me about the liquidity. How long is my capital locked up for? Great. Tell me about the ownership structure. Where in the ownership structure do I fall? And can you tell me a little bit about how the ownership structure is broken down? And the third is, hey, can you walk me through the terms? Walk me through the terms of this investment. I'm asking that these three questions, which is L for liquidity, O for ownership, and T for terms is the lot, L-O-T. And we call it, whenever we get a deal and we don't understand it, we put it in the parking lot. We always put all our deals in the parking lot because until all the partners and, our, and the key people in the, in, the, in the fund understand the deal, we don't really know how to evaluate it. People think that they literally want to take a deal and start evaluating the deal. But most of the time, you don't know how to evaluate a deal or an investment opportunity unless you understand it. The number one issue for most people is they jump into trying to evaluate an opportunity without understanding the opportunity. And understanding the opportunity at a fundamental level is what's going to give you the clarity on how to evaluate that opportunity. And I will tell you this, seven out of 10 opportunities don't even make it past phase one, which is the LOT, which is the parking lot, because we just don't understand it. And it, I don't even take it to evaluation. Like I don't even take it to committee, which is like, I, I don't even want to bring a deal, which I don't understand myself. We're not going to go learn new things to invest in deals. That's just not my jam, but it may be yours. But all I'm trying to say is, you got to understand something before you evaluate something, all right? So that is the parking lot method for evaluating deals. Number one, L for liquidity, O for uh, ownership structure, and T for terms. Once you know that, you actually will get a good sense of how a deal works and, um, and, and, and you'll be able to understand it. Great. Now, let's say we understand both this Bitcoin deal that was brought to us and we understand this real estate deal that was brought to us. Awesome. Let's just say this real estate deal was, you know, us buying a, I don't know, like a real estate income property or something. So I'll use it two different examples. So let's put this through our uh, four quadrant framework for evaluating an investment opportunity, right? This is my, um, dare I say, proprietary. This is my, dare I say, proprietary framework for building and evaluating an opportunity. I've been teaching this for the last 20 years. And it's been very helpful to me because I originally, when I came to the United States, I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't have anything, in fact. And I wanted to find a way, uh, a way to evaluate investments as I put money to work. And I didn't know how to think about it. And so I came up with multiple methodologies on how to evaluate an investment. And finally, I uh, broke it down to th this four quadrant method that I'm going to walk you through today. Anytime someone flips me an investment, I put this through this four quadrant filter, which I think you will appreciate a lot. So um, if you can't see the screen, what you should be doing is picturing a big box in, into four quadrants. And I'll walk you through what each of these four quadrants are. Let me tell you what they are first, and then we'll actually uh, go, go, in, go into it and talk about them. First, the first quadrant is capital preservation, right? Capital preservation. It's like, hey, how safe is my how safe is my capital? Um, the second box, the second box is do that. All right, cool. The second box um, is equity growth. I call this either equity growth or just growth. Um, this is or value growth, right? Growth. The, the third box is yield, yield or coupon or cash flow, right? Cash flow is a bad word, but yield or coupon is what you get as an interest payment or, or some kind of income from it. And last but not least, the fourth box, which is my favorite box, 
is the tax advantages. So this is the four quadrant method. And, and let's actually uh, take Bitcoin and this Bitcoin investment that we were presented. And let's see if we can put it through this four quadrant method. It's really, really good. The first one is uh, I am going to ask myself this question. Well, is it is it uh, do I get some capital preservation associated <laughs> with this in some way? Well, I don't think so. Right. There's no I, I guess I guess. Right. So it, I would say, yeah. So if it's uh, if I were to evaluate this as um, a plus one, a zero or a negative one, right, <laughs> in the deal, I'd say capital preservation is pretty volatile. Uh, so I'm not sure I'm going to keep my capital. So I'm just going to give this maybe a negative one. I'm going to probably not 100% sure, right? Does do am I going to get equity growth? Is there an opportunity for my Bitcoin value to grow? Yeah, I think so. Over the next three to five years, the question is always thinking about terms and time. I'm going to give this a one, right? So not 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 one zero negative one. That's one. Yield or cash coupon or cash flow is just because I hold uh, Bitcoin. Does it give me any money? Does it pay me interest? Good question. Um, on the surface, I'm going to say no. On the surface, I'm going to say no as a negative one, but we'll come back to this in a second. And last but not least, tax advantages. Do I have any tax advantages of investing in Bitcoin right now um, that I would not get otherwise? And maybe I'm going to give this as I'm going to give this a zero because I don't can't do anything with it. But let's evaluate this a little further. So now once I put this in place, I'm like, OK. A capital preservation is a negative one, which is a no. A yield is a negative one, which is a no. Growth is a positive one, which is a yes. And tax advantages is nothing. I don't literally get any time. So that's interesting. And it shows you like, okay, I'm spec when, when I see this, these four boxes, I'm speculating. I know that I'm just speculating straight up on growth. And that's okay. Now, my job is at this point is to say, okay, can I turn any of the zeros and the negative ones? Can I turn any of the disadvantages in this in this matrix to an advantage? So the first thing I'm thinking is, how can I get more capital preservation, more security around Bitcoin. Now, that's hard. I don't know how to do that, right? Because Bitcoin's general pricing is volatile. So I don't know if I can get I, I can get some stable Bitcoin. That's hard to do. So I'm not sure. The way I would get cap more capital preservation is I would go look at the charts and say, hey, in in a four in any given four-year period, which I know this and I've done the research, in any given four-year period, nobody has lost money on Bitcoin. Okay. In any given, depending on whenever you bought, in any given four-year period, no one has lost money on Bitcoin. If that is the case, then I would say, okay, I can turn this capital preservation into an advantage if I choose to hold Bitcoin for longer than four years, based on what I know now. Okay, so now I've got a chance to maybe turn a little bit of this negative into a positive, into an advantage. Cool. Now let's talk about the yield. Can it pay me something? Well, on the surface, Bitcoin doesn't pay me something, but I also know, given my recent fascination with the cryptocurrency space, I know that there's uh, various methodologies associated with uh, projects like staking or uh, liquidity pools, which allow you to uh, stake or pledge your tokens or your assets as collateral for them to do trading and things like that. And in return for pledging your Bitcoin and your tokens, they pay you yield. And they actually say it's somewhere I, I've seen Bitcoin yield anywhere from 2.5% to 8.5%.
So what I would do is I would say, hey, since I'm going to hold Bitcoin for at least four years because I want the capital preservation, what if I take the Bitcoin and put it in one of these liquidity pools? Because I'm not trading it anyway. And if I put it in these pools, then over time I get four and a half percent interest, eight and a half percent interest. I recently saw uh, somewhere where you can get 10 percent interest on crypto, which is fascinating. It's actually better than a real estate investment, if you think about it, without even having any of the cash, arguably. So now I've taken this yield component and actually through my analysis, my research, asking questions, getting to a mastermind group, figuring out the deeper part of this asset, I have realized that there is an opportunity for me to turn this yield component, which is probably an, you know, a loser in my book, to saying what? Wow, I can actually make something work out of this one. This is interesting. Does it cost me something? Sure. But I can turn the negative into a positive, which is cool. So now we've tur- we have equity growth, which we know we had. We have capital preservation, which we said, oh, if I held it for at least four years, my chances of capital preservation are pretty high, which is good. Number three, we found a way to stake or use liquidity pools to get you yield, which is pretty cool. But four, what happens to tax advantages? Like what happens to a tax advantage right now? And so I'm thinking, okay, so I've got this equity growth. I've converted this capital preservation if I go to four years. That's interesting. I've got yield if I stake. What about tax advantages? Can I get any tax advantages? Well, uh, I know recently I figured out there's two interesting tax advantages at this time, which may disappear in the future, but I'm not sure. Let me walk you through both of them. First one, I know this because a nerd on tax advantages. I realized that Bitcoin is treated like property, not a security. Here's the difference. A security is a stock. You buy a security and you sell a security, right? You buy a stock and sell a stock. And a security is um, what it is, is a is a representation of an asset. That's I'm sure there's a better technical definition for that, but it's a representation of an asset. So for example, um, if I own a hundred shares of Apple, it's I don't own the building, but I own a right to the building. That's a security, right? I own a right to the building. A security is just a right to. And since you can trade securities, there's an interesting thing called wash sale rules. A wash sale rule is where um, if I own Apple for $100 and Apple drops in price from $100 to $80, I, if I sold Apple, I can harvest a loss of $20. But I can't turn around and buy Apple again at $80. I have to wait for at least 30 days. Because if I if Apple dropped in price $80 and I sold Apple, and then I bought Apple again at $80, now I've harvested the loss. And so when it goes back in price, I get a tax advantage. And so I'm speculating, and that's not allowed. It's called a wash sale rule. So all securities have a 30-day wash sale rule. And so I don't get a tax advantage in this. But interestingly... Property does not have a wash sale, any wash sale rule limitation. So I can take a piece of real estate. I can sell it for a loss today. I can capture the loss and save the loss to use later. And But I can buy back that same piece of real estate tomorrow and I'm not subject to wash sale rule. That's real property. At this time, crypto is classified as property, which means that I can actually sell Bitcoin right now, harvest the loss and buy Bitcoin again because that's how it works, because it's property. Now, will they change that? I don't know. But as of today... June 2021, you can do that, which is pretty cool. So I can get a tax advantage out of it, which I, you would have not thought on the surface. And you would have not thought if you hadn't gone through this model, right? Here's number two. The other part about Bitcoin, I'm thinking, well, if I'm going to hold it for four years, maybe I'll hold it for longer. I don't know. Maybe do I think that in 20 years, Bitcoin is going to be more valuable than right now? Maybe, right? I would, I would wager in my limited view of the world, I would wager that you can actually buy Bitcoin today, and it will be significantly more valuable in 20 years than it is today. That's my uh, my position. 
Well, in that case, what if you could buy Bitcoin inside of a, in the, in the, in the United States, inside of a retirement account? Can you buy Bitcoin inside of an IRA? Now, a lot of people, including many of my advisors, are all jacked up about IRAs, et cetera. But I actually, lo- I, I love asset location, where you actually hold an investment is almost as important as the, invo- as the asset that you hold. Say it again. Where you actually hold the investment is actually almost as important as the asset that you hold. So if I have a high trading account, that I utilize. So let's say I have $100,000 and um, I'm trading it a lot in stocks. Well, I'd much rather have that inside my inside my IRA because I don't get, I, there's no taxes in my inside my IRA. So um, whether I have a lot of, lot of trading profits, I never have to pay any taxes. Well, I also don't get any losses carry forwards, but I, I save on the ordinary income on the taxes. Now, if you bought your Bitcoin into an IRA, you may get a tax advantage because it grows tax-free as you trade it over the years. Maybe you trade it, you buy Ethereum, maybe you trade it again for something else. And all of those um, all of those gains are all tax-free, which is, or based on which, our tax advantage, tax deferred, whatever, based on the IRA that you're, that you're in. So, of course, none of this is financial advice. You should talk to your uh, financial advisor. I love having to do that disclaimers. Like, you're crazy if you listen to me for financial advice. <laughs> do not do that. Nobody listens to me for financial advice. Nobody. All right. Now, as, as I'm explaining all of this to you, now, now we have a better sense of how you actually evaluate investment. The first thing that we do is we say, huh, on first glance, how do you evaluate this investment? Then on second glance, I say, can I turn any of the positive, any of the negatives into the positive? Right. That's really good. Here is where the good becomes the great. Now you take any of the positives that you've already had and see if you can turn them into a negative to see if you can really understand and evaluate this investment. So I'm thinking about the growth component. I'm like, wow, okay, is this really growth? What would need to happen for Bitcoin to give me no growth for it to tank? A lot of things, right? And so now I really, now when I do that, I really start to understand the risks around this investment. You're really clean and specific because now you've seen everything that is positive and you ask yourself the question, what would make this positive and negative? And that allows you to see the risk behind the stuff. Just in this four quadrants, I could tell you whether something is good or bad, how to make one of its negatives a positive and how to make one of its positives a negative. And that allows me to understand this investment at a very visceral level. Now, once I understand this, once I evaluate it to see if it's the right fit, now I can be like, hey, I want to jump on the phone with whoever that presented me this opportunity and talk through uh, this with them because now I'm a much uh, more educated investor because not only have I figured out it in the parking lot, I know the liquidity constraints, I know the ownership structure, I know the terms. Based on that, I understand the investment. Then I take that understanding of the investment and I say, put it to this four quadrant method and I say, okay, first pass, where does it fall? Second pass, can I turn the negatives into the positive? Third pass, to understand the risk, can I turn the positives into the negative? Now I really understand what this does for me. So just for kicks and giggles, I want to take the same real estate investment. Say someone made a real estate uh, investment idea where I was going to partner with them to buy an income property in Omaha, Nebraska, and it was going to spit out some income, right? Which is cool. So I've already understood this investment. Now I'm going to come in here and uh, I'm going to see if I can uh, evaluate and evaluate to see if this is a good investment for, for us to make. So First thing I'm going to say, well, is there some capital preservation around it? All I have to do is look at uh, Omaha real estate and say, hey, have prices in general stabilized or they keep moving up or where where's the market been? If the real estate market's stable, I know I have decent uh, capital preservation without a lot of analysis. 
That's number one. So I, I give myself I give myself a yay on that one. The second is equity growth. Like, is my property going to appreciate in value? I don't know. I'm just going to check. Check maybe check with the agent or Google the marketplace and say, hey, have have rent values or property values increased over time in this marketplace? And if they are, by how much? Let's be real. How much? Have they fallen? By how much? Is there a year when they fall a lot? By how much? In general, is it an upward trending curve? Cool. I get some equity growth. Awesome. Give myself a little uh, A minus on that maybe because it's probably not going to rise as fast as Bitcoin, right? I understand. Cool. That's number two. Number three, the yield. Yield is uh, also a cash flow or they call it a coupon sometimes. Yield, what, what yield do I get from it? Well, I'm investing in an income property or a rental property. The, the, the tenant is going to pay us rent. After all the expenses associated with maintaining the property, we take we get some part of the rent. So I may not be getting buku dollars, but I may be getting something, which is a, which is good and healthy, right? Which is help, good for us to do. So I give that a check, maybe an A minus as well. That's pretty good. Now I have capital preservation, which is a check. I have equity growth, which is a decent check, A minus. I have yield, which I might be getting some money, which is great, which is a check, which is pretty cool. And now do I have it? Now I ask the question: Do I have any tax advantages? Well. In general, real estate has some tax advantages. You you can you have some mortgage interest deduction if it's if it qualifies. If we're going to take a loan, you also have um, the ability to you know um, take depreciation on the property, which means that it's a book. You know, it, it's uh, depreciation is nothing but wear and tear related obsolescence. So you're like, hey, you know, over a thirty year period, this property is you know is going to lose some value. So you can take some depreciation associated with it, which is an accounting mechanism to actually get some uh, paper book losses, which is cool. So I have some tax advantages. Looks like I get an A minus in almost all categories, so I feel pretty good about this. Now the question is, can I take? So that's part one in, in the phase one. Now I say, well, how can I make any of those better? Well, I didn't have any disadvantages per se, so I'm thinking, well, how do I make sure my stuff is have some capital preservation around it? Well, the easiest thing I can do for capital preservation is to say, well, um, I don't want my building to burn down, so maybe if I just make sure my insurance, etc., is in order. Uh, if something crazy happens, I have some capital preservation. Cool. So I can put some me- mechanics in place to allow myself to understand and unlock the value of this asset to give myself an A rating on capital preservation. Now I say an equity growth. How can I get more equity growth? Well, you may say, well, Shran, equity growth is equity growth. How fast can you grow? Well, like equity growth is very interesting because if you think about it, if you spent $100,000 on a, if you put $100,000 down on a property and uh, the property was say a million dollars in in purchase price. I'm making using using easy numbers. I put ten percent down, and let's say the property increased in value by ten percent, so it went to a million one one point one million. Well, if I sold the property, assume no fees, etc., I would have to pay back the bank nine hundred thousand dollars, and I would get two hundred thousand dollars because it went up. Even though it only went up ten percent, I doubled my money right? Conceptually speaking. Now, think about that for a second. Equity growth is not just based on how a property's value grows. Equity growth is also based on leverage. How, what can you put in and what is the mechanics and the math and financial engineering that says the more money I put in, the less the growth matters to me. So if I really want more growth, then I'm going to put less down. The problem with, it's always a a seesaw, right? If you put less down, you're probably going to pay a higher higher rate or there's higher term, changing terms, which based on you'll have a different term. If the terms are all the same and you could put the least amount down on a property, you're getting a chance to maximize equity growth, financial engineering speaking, right? Which is good. 
Number three, how do I maximize yield or the rents coming from the property? Very simple. How do I do that? Ask the question, how do I do that? And the question would be like, well, I can go fix up the property. Hey, can I go buy the property and can I spend $20,000 and redo some doors and kitchens and cabinets and countertops? And can I get higher rent than I'm getting right now? Does that increase my cash flow? Yes, it's good. Now I'm thinking better about how to actually maximize and change some of these boxes to do better overall. And last but not least, like what kind of tax advantages can I get? Well, maybe you can hold it in your IRA. Maybe you can, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you can get a bigger loan so you can get a bigger mortgage deduction. The ideas around this are now you actually talk to an investment advisor and be like, hey, how do I buy this? Maybe you sell another property and buy this property and there's a 1031 exchange opportunity. You ask yourself the question, how can I make one of these boxes better? And then you go back and ask yourself the question in round three, how can one of these boxes break? Capital preservation, how can it break? Equity growth, how can it break? Yield, how can it break? Tax advantages, how can it break? And now you have a good sense of how to invest in something. All right, hopefully that gives you a sense of ask how to ask the two big questions when it comes to making any investment. The question number one is, do I understand it? And how you understand it is putting it in a parking lot, a lot, L-O-T. L for liquidity, O for ownership, and T for terms. Understanding an investment or an asset requires understanding its liquidity preferences, understanding its ownership structure, understanding the terms that are presented to you. But number two, once you understand it, you put it through the four quadrant filter of how you evaluate an opportunity. Dare I say, proprietary four quarter quadrant filter. Uh, number one, capital preservation. How are you going to preserve the value of that asset? Number two, uh, which is equity growth or just growth in general. How can you maximize that? Number three, how can you understand and unlock more value from the yield of the coupon because it allows you to further preserve your capital some more, right? Which is pretty cool. And number four, what tax advantages exist so that you don't have the taxes, which is the number one erosion of profits uh, in the Western world, how, how can we make sure that that doesn't happen in your investment? Those are the two investment models that every serious investor should know and utilize. Next time when someone presents an opportunity to you, think, do I understand this investment? And if I don't, let me ask the questions around the parking lot, L-O-T, liquidity, ownership structure, and terms. And then if I do understand it really well, instead of making a hasty decision, let me take three passes of the four quadrant model. Number one, capital preservation. Number two, equity growth. Number three, yield. Number four, tax advantages. What is the first pass and what it looks like? Then you take a second pass and you say, how can you make the negatives a positive? Then you take the third pass and say, how can I make the positives a negative? So you understand the risk around it. Those two investment models, just if you think through them, will help you make any investment and help you understand any investment so that you can be thoughtful and uh on your way to being an awesome professional investor. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com. That's businessschoolshow.com.